Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. By phone, I'm in Long Beach, California. This is Bill Evans. I've got Cy Ten Bruggenkate uh, in, uh, you're in Ontario, correct? Ontario, Canada, that's right. Cy, we appreciate having you here on the War Room. Well, thanks uh, for having me, Bill. It's good to hear you, uh, hear your voice again. It, you know, you have lots of, uh, lots of brothers and sisters who really love you and appreciate uh, the work you've done. I can remember my first exposure to you was watching uh, um, How to Answer the Fool, and I thought, Man, who could do what he does? I mean, that that guy, that guy is, you know, I thought you were, you know, a real, you know, we talk about thug life. I mean, you deserve a little spot in that thug life sort of thing. But when I saw Debating Dillahunty, uh, I really saw your heart there. And Marcus did a masterful thing there and really uh, putting that last little bit. And, you know, and, and I remember one of the most important lessons that you've taught uh, is that the, the issue is not to not to win the arguments to win your win win the man right and uh, of course you know yeah. as as good reform people we know that we can't win the person but that should be our goal and that uh, you know they become converted that you know, the arguments already won but as far as the end of the Dilla, debating Dilla Hunty goes I've never told Marcus what to put in any film or anything like that but um as you know for those who have seen it is that I ended the sermon that I preached the next day, I was in tears. And I walked off of the, the podium there, and Marcus was sitting in the front row with the camera, and I pointed at him, and I said, do not use that scene. And, of course, he finishes the film with it. So in retrospect, I'm glad that he did, but at the time, I, I didn't want him to use it. It was pretty funny. How did you first hook up with Marcus? Now, he was out in Newport, Rhode, uh, Newport Virginia with Crown Rights. Right. How did I, you, I, uh, how- I met Marcus at a, a deep, no, yeah, I think it was a, a deeper conference. That right, that's right, a Living Waters conference in uh, Covington, um, I guess it's Kentucky, just on the border, you know, by Cincinnati there. And that's yeah. where I met him for the first time. I didn't know him that well. And I think then we just met each other online, and then I was driving down to meet Eric Hoven in Florida, and I stopped and I stayed a, a little while with uh, Marcus, and then our, our friendship just grew from there. And then he teamed up with um, David Shannon, uh, the Chocolate Knox. And um, that's when we got together. And the very first thing that we filmed together was, um, that, I don't know if you've seen it, that little series on, on the leather couch called Edified. And I was on my way back from Florida, actually, and they said they wanted to interview me. And I, I didn't really feel like it. You know, I, I didn't really like doing interviews. And I, I thought, well, you know, if you think that we can make something out of it, I said, that'd be great. And so um, they pulled this leather couch out onto David's driveway. And it was dark. It was night. It was cool. And, you know, I thought, okay, what's going to become of this? And it turned out to be such a great time. I mean, I just love doing it for the fellowship of it. And then they put um, a few videos together, and they're available on YouTube. And they've done a, a number of interviews since then. And since then, of course, both their ministries and both of their um, their jobs at uh, film production have just taken off. As, as what was the name? What was the name? What was the name of that again? The Leather Count? Oh, Edified. No, it's oh, called Edified. Edified. The show's called Edified. Edified. And it'll be and on YouTube. Then, you know, it, it went, yeah, it went through a number of transformations. I think we call it couch conversations at one time, but then it became edified. And I believe that they're on the uh, Crown Rights channel. I don't know what, I think that's what Marcus's channel is called. But yeah. if you just look up uh, edified with uh, Cy or with, uh, with Chalk and Knox and on YouTube, you should be able to find them. There's ones with uh, Gary DeMar and uh, a few other people, uh, Ray Rhodes, are on there. And uh, I really enjoy them. Some The ones with Gary DeMar, some of the clips are some of the best explanations I've heard of uh, of some of the things that, that we both hold hold dear. So. Yeah, of course, uh, um, Marcus, um, when he – I wouldn't say he put uh, Jeff on the map. Jeff was already well-known and doing good work, but it seemed like it in, it, it sort of – Marcus's uh, um, transfer to Phoenix seems like it really supercharged Apologia Oh, yeah, it just blew up when he went there. I mean, he um, spearheaded all these different shows, and, and he's been hinting at another uh, big project that's coming up, uh, you know, with Jeff. And um, I, I know a little bit more about that because I'm, I'm friends with those guys, but I think that everybody should be real excited about what they have in the can coming up soon. 
Well, I know that they've got the end abortion uh, now um, tools that they're wanting to produce. Right. And uh, also, I think Marcus is producing sh- uh, sheologians. Right, yeah. With, he's he's behind that as well. Yeah, and she's actually very good. Uh, uh, James White's daughter is really good in it. She reminds me of Joy a little bit. They almost look like they could be sisters, but, uh, but you know, she, they're doing a good work. And, uh, and it really is, a, I mean, a man who is good at what he does will not stand before obscure man. He will stand before kings. So, I mean, and it's, you know, listen, Marcus has been at the center of a little bit of, 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 of dust up between various different, and I hate to even use the word factions or, 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 uh, our, our, tact, our tactical philosophies, ideologies within uh, uh, the uh, uh, the body that wants to abolish abortion, end abortion. But uh, nevertheless, you, you've got to acknowledge the man is an artist. And, oh, absolutely. And, and, and One of the things he said, too, is that he's worked with a lot of people, but he says that the easiest person to work with so far has been Summer White. He said that he just points the camera at her and she takes over. And, you know, you see that in the videos that come out. And I know that a lot of people will find that Marcus rubs them the wrong way online, but what they need to do is meet him in person sometime because he's a, a very kind-hearted, generous, loving person. But uh, the Internet tends to um, put a bit of an edge on some of the words that are exchanged, which is uh, too bad. I mean, I've run into that myself as well. But usually, you know, people that I have disagreements with, once I meet them uh, face-to-face, then uh, those disagreements melt away. And I think, you know, that uh, with all the things that are going on in the world that uh, – there should be less division, less divisiveness among brothers, and it's nice to see um, some paths to uh, healing taking place. Well, that's one of the reasons I know that you're friends with. Uh, I think there were people who suggested that me reaching out to Jeff, and I've been friends with Jeff. I uh, met him at the uh, first time. I'd heard, interesting story. I, I would have told it to introduce him, is uh, because I know you love him so much. Um, a Presbyterian brother, first post millennialist first theonomist I ever knew who was a personal friend and student of of, uh, of um, uh, Greg Bonson and of Gary North and Rush Dooney and, and, and New Van Til, in fact, uh, and Bettner, and so worked with G. James Kenny. So the guy's been around a long time. He's been a long-standing friend of mine. Presbyterian, I mean, Westminster Confession, strict, uh, you know, holds it strictly and all that without reservation, but when I asked him several years ago, I said, Mike, who, as you survey the landscape across North America, who's doing it the best? In other words, who is taking these these principles of the Reformed faith and presuppositional apologetics and, and a victorious uh, uh, eschatology and, and, and the law of, and, the, and the central law, who's, who's taking all this stuff, boots on the ground, doing the best job? And he said, Jeff Durbin. Amen. You didn't mention his last name, but that'd be Mike Chastain, I imagine. Mac Chastain, Mac Chastain yeah. And, and so right. he's the one. When I was in Arizona, and uh, yeah, dear brother. And it was very encouraging to talk with him as well, because somebody who actually knew Greg Bonson, and he encouraged me in my work, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, you know, it, we, and I want to talk, there's a lot of things, I've got a, like a, a longer list of things I want us to talk about today, not the least of which is your brother, Greg, uh, Mike Stockwell, and uh, Mike Overd. Uh, and the brothers there in Bristol, give us an update there. I want to talk about uh, Cody May a little bit, the, the ministry of street evangelism and uh, apologetics. Kyle, uh, your 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 uh, testimony is 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 pretty well known. I think I could I could quote the first few lines of it. I know you always had a passion for sharing your faith in Christian home, but you realized that at some point you were doing it wrong. And I'm not and I, that part's a little fuzzy. What would you, what would you recommend for a person who um, sees how? And again, I, I don't want to make too much of you. I don't. I, I know you're a very self-deprecating, humble individual. You give all glory to, to, to the Lord. Um, but in terms of the deafness of turning the arguments of the wicked, of unbelievers, of people who are dead in transgressions and sins, who, who, and, and, and you love them. I know the people that you engage, that God has truly given you a, a heart that longs that they would be saved and they would know Christ. And, uh, but you, you're, you, you, also, you, you demonstrate in your apologetic skills, it's almost like watching a martial artist, almost like watching a, a Bruce Lee or a Steven Seagal or somebody turn the blows are parrying the thrusts 
of their opponent. And I realize that you're doing battle with the devil and with uh, unbelief, and you don't see these people as your adversaries, uh, that you see them as your mission field. But because if, if for people who've seen that, they've seen your skill at, 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 uh, at, at, at answering the fool, as it were, what would you recommend to people who want to uh, become uh, workers who do not need to be ashamed, who handle accurately the word of truth, who are skilled swordsmen, who can uh, do the sorts of things that you do in presenting their faith? I know you talk about the first step as always, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. That's the first step. What do you recommend as far as a reading list? Or I wanted to ask you, I think we talked before, uh, do you have any training CDs or, or MP3s or videos or, or workshops online that people can get practice uh, in, 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 in some of the, the techniques? Or does it just come from studying the scriptures? Tell me. What, what, what would you recommend as a reading list? And or do you have any uh, skill-building uh, modules that people can actually watch or listen to? Well, the interesting thing about apologetics is that there is no office of apologist in Scripture. So I'll go to a conference and people want me to teach apologetics, and I say, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball. I'm, I'm not going to be an apologist today. I'm going to be a love-your-neighborist. I'm going to teach you how to love your neighbor. And they look at me all kind of weird, you know, because they know how to love their neighbor. We're commanded to love our neighbor, and we should be able to do it. Same thing with apologetics. We're commanded to do it. If they need me to come and teach them apologetics, then I'm doing it wrong, and they're doing it wrong. So what I try to do when I go to a place is I don't teach people how to defend their faith. I teach them how not to. I teach them about the God that they know exists and the one who saved them, and to not lie about him anymore when they defend their faith. Now, of course, there will be some training involved as far as, you know, when people say this, how do you answer? But this is something that should not be news to them. It should be just eye-opening. You know, I've had people come up to me at a conference after I've uh, spoken, and they've had tears in their eyes, and they say, that's the God that I believe in. That's the God that I need to talk about. And they find out that they can do it. And I tell people, I say, if, if I leave from this conference and you think you're not smart enough to defend your faith or, or you know, you have to study more to defend your faith, then I say, then I've done you a disservice. You, know, you should be able to defend your faith, and what I'm doing is just teaching you how not to do it. Because that's the problem with apologetics today is I would say in the high 90 percentile of Christians, they're being taught to defend their faith in something that I don't believe in. They're taught to defend their faith in a probability. They're not taught to defend their faith of the almighty creator of this universe, who says from him, through him, and to him are all things. You can't start with anything unless you start with that God. And once you understand that, then you can defend your faith. And I have a video on uh, YouTube. It's called uh, Apologetics is Easy. Believe your Bible. And that's also on Marcus's uh, channel um, on Crown Right. And I encourage people actually just to start there. You know, I had one fellow, he contacted me. He said, you know, he had to stop the video 20 minutes in and just start praying and ask God for forgiveness, you know, and, and repenting about the way he defended his faith in the past. And that's the thing. People walk away from, you know, um, these kind of lessons. They say, well, I can do this. And that's encouraging to me because, you know, we should be able to defend our faith. And, if, and we've just been doing it wrong. We've been duped by the world into talking about something that we don't believe in because, that's the God that the world wants us to represent because he's not a threat to anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, obviously, um, <laughs> who, who is it? Paul Craig Roberts. Is it? No, no, not Paul, not Paul Craig Roberts. Who is, it? who is the evidentialist who, who doesn't, uh, uh, is, I guess he's a Baptist evidentialist who is not sure that God exists or he's not William absolutely sure. Oh, William Wayne Craig, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, boy, there are people, I mean, in, in his defense, there are people who say, well, he was just talking about uh, that he's not logically certain, that it's not a logical impossibility to say there is no God. And, you know, I, I think if you watch the clip where he's with Lawrence Krauss, you know, and he asks, are you certain that God exists? He says, no. You know, I think that's a pretty clear indication that he's not. I mean, the thing is, the scripture says everyone is certain that God exists. So I think when people answer like that, it's just because they want some credibility in the non-Christian field, they don't get brushed off. Because if you tell people you're certain that God exists, then people will marginalize you and really not be interested in talking to you. Sai, uh, I know that you're a uh, <clears throat> that you're a reformed and Presbyterian uh, in your theology and polity. Uh, it, 
is it possible for people who do not hold to a Calvinistic soteriology to be consistent presuppositionalists? Absolutely not. I mean, I've heard people who call themselves presuppositionists who are not of the Reformed faith, and they actually, you know, do all right, but then when you get into certain topics, like the, the topic of evil and things like that, if God is not in control of all things and the wheels fall off of presuppositionalism, you know, and people want to say that God is not totally, I mean, the thing is, non-Reformed people, they will say God is sovereign. But when you start uh, picking away at their worldview and when you start asking them questions, you'll see that they say one thing. They actually believe two things. It's a, it's a conflict. And the problem is, you know, I think that um, most of these brothers are, are actually saved. It's just that they're inconsistent. You know, I think it's a consistent Arminian that is not saved because it's a worst work-based salvation. But the inconsistent one, ones will say God is sovereign over all things. And then they'll be inconsistent on to how a person is saved. And presuppositional apology just just does not make sense in a world where God is not totally sovereign. Um, in a in the in these in a simple, I don't want to put words in your mouth, and you're the master of this. So I would say, if you had to if you had to define, if you had to put down a little sort of a tagline or a one sentence description of what is presuppositional apologetics, do you have one? Well, I would just say that we start with the foundation that God exists and that his word is true, and everything hinges on that. So when I try to explain presuppositional apologetics, I'm, I do it more about what it's not, and I explain what evidentialism is. And I say, look, you, I mean, you've heard me a number of times on, on different radio interviews and even in uh, talks. I say, if you put a fossil between a believer and an unbeliever, they'll look at that, and the believer will say, look at that fossil, and say, oh, no, it's flood. And the unbeliever will look at that same fossil and say, oh, millions of years. And it's the same evidence, but we come to different conclusions. Why? Not because of the evidence, but because of the beliefs we take to the evidence. And the beliefs that we take to the evidence, the foundational beliefs, those are called our presuppositions. It makes no sense to discuss the evidence because we're all, always going to make conclusions according to our presuppositions. So what I do is I examine those presuppositions and I say, unless you start with the fact that God exists and his word is true, you can't even make sense of looking at evidence. Well, I, listening to, uh, and I've listened to a number of your debates, and, uh, and, and I was listening again last night. Of course, I get it. I have a lot of time to listen as I'm driving across country. And uh, so thank God for the tools of dominion that allow us <laughs> But uh, it, we're talking about, you know, uh, when you – when we when we're telling the unbeliever that they know that God exists, now would it be? I heard it said both ways. You believe that God exists, or you know that God exists. I would say that they that 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 the not that the knowledge of God is uh, is part of their human nature. That it's uh, that it is um, self evident, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, uh, at what point you say, well, why is it that certain people have certain presuppositions? Well, I think you know, we as Christians, we can always say, well, we have the advantage because we have at one time been uh, lost. They don't have the advantage of having been on both sides of the fence. We do. We know what it's like. As you mentioned, uh, I was talking, uh, listening to the sort of the uh, the play by play. Of uh, and I like what Paul was talking about with Augustine of Hippo. Um, I, I believe so that I may know, and and I can re I reflect on my own experience in hearing the gospel, where I walked into the room as an unbeliever and a, and a, and, a, and a wise in my own eyes and self righteous and a skeptic, and I walked out regenerated. Uh, it was not. And I can remember when I heard the gospel, it was almost like at some point you you hear the the chiding of the Holy Spirit saying, "Shut up and listen to this man. You don't know what you're talking about." You know, it's like, and 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 then uh, and, and then I heard the truth, and I, I tell people, you know, I I I did not believe it to be saved. I believed it because God saved me, Amen. and and. And so, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, well, it's inconceivable. It, twenty four and twenty five just played out in the hope it, that God one of my favorite verses. Yeah, in, in the hope that God grants them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Most people have it backwards. They try and give the person the truth so that they repent. 
But you cannot believe that a donkey talker, that a man who was dead for three days, came back to life so that you repent. You need to repent of your sin against the God you know exists for any of that to make sense. Yeah, it's uncon- it, I think Lazarus is the greatest. I mean, it's inconceivable that Lazarus could have heard Christ's words if he was dead. Right. I mean, you know, but, but although, I mean, on his own and responded, or, or not responded, Jesus said the time is coming, and now is when de- the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can remember a young midshipman I, that was sharing the gospel with years ago, and the guy was a sharp guy, and good-looking, athletic, brilliant student at the Naval Academy, and obviously it probably been, had heard the gospel presented in various different ways before, and at one point I got to the end of the presentation making basically the the propositional declarative statements about Jesus Christ and he said well did you forget something and I said what he said aren't you supposed to ask me if I'd like to ask Jesus into my heart I said you got it all wrong but you need to ask Jesus he'll let you into his heart <laughs> so what uh, do you want to do in your heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, but uh, getting back to some of the other topics that we were talking about earlier um what, what did you read? How did you make your way when you t- – tell us again, how, what did you – what was the, the transitional process? Did you read certain books or watch certain videos or download certain – how did how did you go I from being – A presupposition is the way that most of the people that I talked to became presuppositions. Now, I had an evidential website. I hadn't posted it online yet, but I took all these arguments and I was dumbing it down to my level. I think that's something I've been gifted with is dumbing down, you know um, – difficult arguments to my factory worker level. And that's what I was doing with all, the, all these evidential arguments. My Christian friends loved it because I was explaining it to them in a the way they could understand it. But then I would use these arguments out on the street, and I would use them with my colleagues at work, and I would get them shoved down my throat. And it actually did not affect my faith at all, but it affected my desire to share my faith. And I just shelved my website project for a couple of years, but I still like listening to debates. And then by the grace of God, I came across the, um, or I was shown the Bonten versus Stein debate. And I did not know what happened in that debate, but I knew it was something different. And so I listened to that a number of times. And since then, I've listened to it many times. I still get something out of it every time I listen to it. And for those who have never heard it, Greg Bonson versus Gordon Stein, I encourage people to look it up and to, and to get it. And then after that, I found out that this apologetic was called uh, presuppositional apologetics. So I Googled that, and I found a podcast out of California by uh, Gene Cook Jr. called The Narrow Mind. And um, I became what they call a narrow mind addict. I've actually been on this show about four times. He's, he doesn't podcast anymore. Well, actually, he does some BJJ uh, podcasting, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he, he's been doing that now and then. But if you go to my website, proofthatgodexist.org, and if you go to the multimedia audio section, you can hear my first interviews and my first exchanges with uh, Unbelievers, and that was on Gene Cook's show. So that's how I really got into the apologetic. And I'm more of an audio-visual learner, so I found, thanks to the Covenant Media Foundation, and Mm -hmm. just about everything that Greg Bonson ever said in the public sphere was recorded. And they have hundreds of lectures there, and I just downloaded them voraciously. And when I did it, they were two bucks a pop. And now they're, I think, a dollar fifty each. And I would just download them, listen to them over and over, and get a few nuggets, and like I say, try and dumb them down. And then the website that was evidential, I totally changed it. It's still a, it was a point-and-click thing at the time, but it was still a point-and-click thing, and I just used a, a presuppositional angle, and that's really how I got into it. Well, you know, another thing about Greg Bonson that's evident if you listen to him speak is that he was a gentleman. Absolutely. And, that he, was, and he was gracious. He was – he was. Uh, I mean, he may be slicing you up to pieces, but he did it politely. And, well, the uh, thing is – yeah, hanging in these circles, you meet a lot of people who, you know, who talk about the enemies that he's had, and he had such a rough life with people having it out for him. But, you know, I haven't really been – I've been away from that. I don't know anything about that. I didn't know about him until long after he died. But what I know of him, I've listened to his lectures. And what I really – what really struck me is his interacting interaction with some of the students, especially ones that didn't really understand what he was saying. And how kind and how gentle he was with them in trying to explain the apologetic in a way that they will honor God better. And, you know, for me, that's where I could really see his heart. Yeah. Uh, would the most, what, what would you say is the most um, important? Well, listen, I'm, I'm dying to ask you about, because I know you're friends with uh, Eric Hovind. 
mm-hmm. and uh, and I and I and I and it, I didn't listen to it, but I noticed in, in looking through your name that you guys did sort of a play-by-play like you were an MMA uh, uh, ringside announcer on the Nye uh, Ken Ham, and I think most people would agree that that you did not, you would have done a much better job than Ken, than Ken Ham did. Well, the uh, is, you know, in Ken Ham's defense, um, um, he said that he stuck to the debate rules. And whereas Bill and I went off of the reservation and, you know, answered questions in a way that was not specified in the debate rules, and Ken Ham didn't do that. But the thing is, he shared the gospel, and millions of people have heard that. You know, and I really thank God for that. But the yeah, presuppositionalists yeah. yeah, complained that he wasn't presuppositional enough, and the evidentialists complained that he wasn't evidential enough, so. Yeah, yeah. Have you been down to the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter? I've been to the Creation Museum a number of times. I actually went down there once when Jason Lyle was still working there, and uh, uh-huh. I met him then, and he gave me a tour of the uh, of the museum. I have not been down to the Ark yet, but something interesting about that, there's also an, a full-size Ark in Holland, and the fellow who uh, built that, he's actually a family of mine. His uh, My cousin is married to his brother, and I was at his 25th wedding anniversary, and he's a very kind uh, fellow, but... I, he built a smaller one, a fifth of the size of the ark, and that was just to go through Holland. And then he ended up building, building a full-size ark, which actually floats, and they can take it from place to place. Yeah, I saw and, that. And, I, 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 so, okay, well, it's, you know, the Netherlands is not a big country, so there's probably a lot of – probably have a lot of kin uh, yeah. there. Yeah, but apparently they're uh, going to take this ark to uh, South America. I don't know if they've done it yet, but uh, they're going to take it over the ocean and, and – um, Bring it to South America for now. now do you do you still uh, you still contact? I know that Jason Lyle. I've not met him, uh, but I thought his book Ultimate Proof was probably one of the finest books on apologetics. And it That's wasn't what even. I recommend enough. that people pick up first, actually, because I find it the easiest to understand, and the back is filled with different uh, examples, conversations that he's had, and, I, and that's one that I recommend first that people pick up. Yeah. Now, it, it, now here's here's the funny thing. Uh, and, uh, Jason has a, he's got a really, obviously, a very sweet, kind demeanor, and he's brilliant, uh, but I, it, he's not, I don't think he's Calvinist, is he? Pardon me? Oh, I, the thing is, if you read his, uh, you know, I don't want to out him or anything, but I think that the different ministries that he's been at, there's just been too much of a, a controversy with people putting out their actual positions. Like, as far as I know, Ken Ham is a Calvinist. And I think that there's just too much infighting within certain ministries for them to be that overt in, in their position. But I I do not deny that he's Calvinistic and theonomic, actually. If you read some of his writings, it just screams it. Well, yeah, he you know he gives kudos to Ken Gentry and Greg Bonson both. And so it would be hard for him to have made it through either of those guys' books. Without and having being um, you know presuppositional as a reformed apologetic, so I'm well, that's why I wanted to, that's why I wanted to ask that because I know his background is not technically that, but again, we don't want to make too much about that because we're all one body in Christ, and and uh, you know one of the things that I appreciate about you, Sai, is that you, I really, I mean, I remember the first time I saw you, I thought you looked, you were kind of, man, I thought you were beating those guys up. It was like it was like street jujitsu, you know, and um, and yet when I got to meet you, you're really a, a, a kind brother and uh you're loved and 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 you've you've been a bridge builder i think you know uh one of some of the men that you have gotten to know and befriend i want to talk about some of these men and your relationship with them and also the work that they do and are doing men like cody may mike stockwell jeff rose um these are guys that are in my opinion they make me look like a slug when I look at what these guys do day in and yourself too, when I look, you know, when I, you know, running a podcast is not building the kingdom. But these guys, when they put themselves out there uh, to take the uh, the the uh, the thorns and the arrows and the missiles of the enemy and and, and just do it in a thankless way, uh, I don't I don't exactly, and then this is going to sound strange for some of my war room listeners. I'm not exactly sure what makes a guy like a Mike Stockwell or a Jeff Rose even tick. I mean, the love of God constrains them. There's no question. You know, they said that the definition of a fanatic is somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. You know, <laughs> but, but before we get too far, though, don't sell yourself short with the podcast because uh, you reach a lot of people with a podcast like this, and uh, you know, God is glorified through that as well. I mean, I'm sure that people are introduced to a lot of new ideas listening to you so um 
you know, God uses podcasts as well as the street evangelists. The street evangelists might talk to a few people, but you know, you can reach a lot of people on online. Well, what's amazing about, uh, and we need to always bear this in mind in our witness, is that uh, a Spurgeon came to Christ through an Ill, through basically an illiterate, untrained, uh, stand-in preacher who only had one verse in the sermon. And uh, and yet the Prince of Preachers was brought to the foot of the cross and brought to to, to bend the knee to Christ through, through a nobody. Nobody even knows his name. And so that is an amazing, that's an amazing thing there. So that, the, you know, the people we reach, we don't know. We, it might be another William Carey or... Uh, or, or, or who knows how God will use that individual? Um, you were. How did you? How did you know uh, Cody May? Yeah, I don't know if your listeners are actually familiar with uh, Cody May, but for those uh, who aren't, uh, he died in a, a tragic uh, drowning um, accident in January 19th. And um, a dear, dear brother. I mean, he had such a heart for the lost. And he was a brilliant man. And I actually met him at a um, East Coast tour at a um, at a um, Jeremiah Cry event um, a number of years ago in New Jersey. And there's not many people. He might be the only one where I can remember the exact place that I was when I met him because he was just a different fellow. You know, he had such a wonderful, loving heart. And I, I met him there. And um, actually, it was Robert Parker. He's a friend of ours, another street preacher, who uh, bumped into Cody when he was attending Princeton University. And um, they became friends, and then I guess they started preaching together. And then whenever we did an East Coast tour through the universities, he asked us to come and stay with him. So we would stay with him and his wife, Kimberly. And um, I actually went to the memorial um, a couple or a month ago or so in Connecticut. And one of the things that I said is that every time we visited, it seemed like they had two more children. And it's because they did. They adopted, uh, you know, from all, all over the world, they adopted a number of children, and they had their own child as well last year. So um, Kimberly actually now has seven children, and um, Cody and uh, Kimberly were bringing them up together, and they moved to Texas, and it was just a, you know, a week or so into after their move that uh, Cody had this uh, drowning accident. So Kimberly, another dear, dear sister in the Lord, and um, she's dealing with seven children right now, and you know a lot of the situation as well that she's uh, living in Arkansas now, but uh, people are very generously supported her, and I encourage people to uh, to keep doing that as well, to look up uh, Kimberly and to look at the, it's like a GoFundMe account that they're supporting her because um, right. she's been left on her own. Uh, yeah, I think there's a care for me. I think there's a care for me and a GoFundMe. But this is where the rubber meets the road, and a lot of our listeners are, have already are aware, and I presume and, and pray that they have. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I maintain that the one-time gift uh, is, is great, but um, those needs are going to be reoccurring. And so, you know, brothers, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to, uh, so, to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. And well, pray and, and, to God. And, and, and before we get too far, you know, I know that you probably don't like accolades either, but you really, um, you know, you uh, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, that you're one of the most generous people that I know, and you've helped me out as well. And I remember specifically the, the one occasion when my, car had some issues on the way down to Florida and you'd asked me um stop that stop that I'm gonna have to edit this out (laughs) (laughs) well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into the exact details but um I said that people you know thankfully by the grace of God you know I just put on Facebook that I was having these issues not really asking for anything and people had supported me and covered you know quite a bit of the cost and um you'd asked me well what have they not covered yet and I told you and you finished that off and I do really appreciate that and also this year as well you know, uh, even though I, I uh, ditched on uh, narrating that Bonson book, you still uh, you still um, supported me in that. And I, I just want to know, well, I really brother, appreciate that, and you put your you put your money where your mouth is. I appreciate. Well, that. brother, there's uh, and my one of my favorite little sayings is the only one thing better than being an one thing better than receiving an answer to prayer, and that's getting to be one. Amen. And uh, so it's more blessed to give than to receive, and we're commanded: do not withhold good when it is within your power to give it. And so. Um, you know, if God puts in your heart, or, you know, it's funny, sometimes you'll get one of these, like, stray impulses, this weird thought come in your head to send somebody a thousand bucks. Well, that's not from the devil. I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit. If you, if you, get, if you get this wild, crazy impulse to send a brother who's ministering a, some money, whatever the sum is, you can pretty much take it to the bank. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. 
spoken like a good cessationist. I'm just teasing uh, you, brother. I'm just teasing. For, I don't believe in new uh, revelation, but I do believe in new application. Amen, brother. <laughs> so, so that's the key there. But so you met Cody uh, through Jeremiah Cry. That's where I met you. Uh, I think we were the only two Presbyterians there. Uh, but, Not a lot out in the preaching circuit, that's for sure. But there, there's a few, and uh, well, I, I'm telling you, brother, you're 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 like the velvet hammer. I mean, you're like you're you just stand up there and present it in a very matter-of-fact, uh, unflashy, sort of a droll manner. And brother, it's like being hit with a a slow-moving punch. It's like, it, it, it really is. It's, you're effective, brother. And God's using you in, in great ways. And you know, the thing about it is, is that uh, the, the, the crying need for the body to really get a grip on declarative apologetics and not defensive apologetics uh, that you have, have made look easy has allowed you to move in pretty freely in some pretty wide circles. And so I think there are a lot of people who may not be necessarily sadly friendly with one another who nevertheless considered you to be a common friend and that's and that's great because that that puts you in a position of bridge builder and peacemaker and that means you get to be called son of sons of god uh what 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 do you tell us a little bit about if you would because you're also you're known obviously a lot more for your apologetic uh, you know, interactions and, and, and the skillfulness of this is kind of like watching, you know, one of the, uh, um, you know, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, watching these you know people who are grapplers and watch these pins and stuff. But quick to acknowledge that it's not about taking down the man. It's about bringing truth and shattering his, uh, taking every thought captive, basically, to the obedience of Christ. And, uh, and so, but you also are a street preacher, and and you're you're and you've got a, a brother now. We we uh, want to talk about Mike. His organization was it cross country evangelism, or evangelism. and also Jeff Rose, who's just recently moved to Texas as well. I think he's in Waco. Seems like a big step for a guy from Camden, New Jersey. Tell us a little bit about the, the ministry, if you will, in this modern day, this modern age side of. CBN and Apologia Radio, the, the Internet and Facebook and all the various different tools that we have, make the case for street preaching. Well, I think we reach um, people that uh, will never hear the gospel. One thing that I've been really surprised with uh, doing anything on the street is that people do not know the gospel. For somebody who was born and raised in a Christian family and you know grew up going to church and, and hearing the gospel, for me it was just a shock as to how many people out there have never heard the gospel. I can still remember I was communicating with a fellow from England, and he was actually very interested, and uh, I believe I, he actually became saved uh, you know, following our interactions, and he wanted to know what he should do next. And I said, well, what you should do is start reading your Bible, and I would suggest going to the New Testament. And he sent me back an email, New Testament, question mark. He didn't know what it was. And for me, that would, you know, I was just flabbergasted. There's people out there who don't know what the mm-hmm. Bible is, who don't know what the gospel is. And I think that's what we do when we go out into the streets, into the universities. We talk to people who will never turn on a, a Christian YouTube video, who never set foot into a church, and then we present the gospel to people who would otherwise not hear. Somebody actually on Facebook recently was saying that Christians really shouldn't debate other people because it's not fertile ground. But, you know, I don't know if you're aware that the debate that I did with Matt Delahunty has over 450,000 views on YouTube now. And I preached the gospel in that debate. And... That's why I go and do debates is so that I can preach the gospel to a group that will, you know, otherwise not hear it. And um, I think that's what we do with street evangelism, that we go out into places where people will not hear the gospel, you know, in the hope that God uses it to save them. If you happen to be in a, in a certain place and you're proclaiming the, the word of God and God uses that to do heart surgery on an unbeliever, that is providence with a capital P. You being in the right, you being in the right place at the right time. And what I've heard as well, a number of stories. You know, like you mentioned Camden, but I've heard stories of the police who are actually thankful for the preachers because they say crime goes down in that area. Whether people are saved or not, you know, I don't know. However, people who hear the gospel, I think that they're convicted, and whether God saves them, you know, that that's uh, you know something we might find out. 
However, the police, as much as we get opposition from the police in different areas, like you were talking about that, uh, what was going on in England, some of them are actually uh, quite happy that there are preachers there because when people hear the preaching of the word, you know, in some instances, crime goes down in that area. Yeah. Have you ever, by any chance, uh, read the biography by Arnold Dallimore of George Whitfield? I have not. Brother, I, it is, it's probably close to 3,000 pages. It's two volume set. And I sat in late, and this has been years and years ago, I laid one night in the floor, on a hardwood floor, and read the first volume nonstop. It's that good. But, you know, he made the comment, uh, in preaching in some of the areas of, of, of England, Great Britain, uh, the coal miner areas and the, the gin mill areas, and he said, you know, that where grace abounds, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Certainly this place is ripe for revival. Amen. And so, uh, that's a good, that's a good book that you would really, really enjoy. And it's got a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting strategies. How he was sensing the move of the Holy Spirit and trying to uh, take advantage, if you will. And what I wanted to ask you this, uh, in, in any of your campus interaction or your, your, your street preaching activities, do you ever uh, schedule, have uh, like, all right, we're going to get, listen, if you want to hear more about this, if you want to argue more or if you want to talk more or you want to have, have questions you want to ask or you would like to receive Christ, we're going to meet at the International House of Pancakes down here on Fifth Avenue and and Vine uh, tonight or tomorrow, or in fact, he would even make it early. You know, uh, Whitfield used to make his his inquirers class after he would preach the gospel and sow the seed. He would let them know that he was going to be taking questions and answering inquiries the next morning at like 4 a.m. He would intentionally make it difficult. So that only those people that were really being called, really being pursued by the hound of heaven, would show up. Yeah, that's a great idea. We've actually never done anything like that, but I like. See, usually we're with a large group, and to coordinate something like that. But you know, as you know, I've been confined to my house uh, lately. But uh, if and when I get the opportunity to be able to go out, then um, you know, I want to go out with like-minded individuals, and you know, that's actually a great idea. I like that, especially in the day of the internet. You know, in the age of the internet, it's a lot easier to get that kind of message out. But uh, that's a fantastic idea. Well, and you know, of course, too, it's a human convention, and part of uh, the imago day, you know, I guess that God is, is, is that food and coffee and our, you know, um, that is like a lubricant that enables free exchange of ideas and 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 peaceable communications between presumably uh, antagonistic parties. I think food is a tremendous there's a lot of allusions to food in scripture and a lot of, of applications of how meals are, you know, serve different functions within society. And, uh, meeting people around coffee and pancakes at IHOP the next day, if they want to talk about this further, might be a great way to do that. Take them out of their, take them out of their comfort zone and put them in a truly neutral environment. Well, amen. Jesus did that. He ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and, uh, you know, he set the example for that. Sure. Um, so, but when you're talking about a guy like the Jeff Roses and the Mike Stockwells, what's it like? How does one get started being a street preacher, Cy? I mean, you need to go out and buy a GoPro camera. Do you have to have certain tracks? Do you, uh, do you, and, and the other thing is how do you, do you, do, how do you pick your locations? I mean, if you're going to be on a college campus, do you, do you have to contact a public affairs office or do you have to, uh, is there any permit? I mean, obviously, I, my, something tells me you guys don't apply for permits when you go out on street corners in major cities. But how, how does that work? Tell us a little bit about the, the logistics for people who see what you and brothers like Mike Stockwell and Jeff Rose are doing and want to go and do likewise. Sometimes people ask me what the prerequisite is for a street preaching or for doing this full time. And for me, I say my prerequisite is not wanting to. So this is something that, you know, I didn't really want to do, but I saw a need and I found that it was something that I had to do, especially when I went out and I, I looked, you know, on the Internet, look online and see people not talking about the God that I believe in. And I thought, well, something's got to be done about this. That's actually why I quit my job and started, started to do this full time. And with me, and this is something that I suggest as well, it's just I found a group of people that were already doing it. And then I went and I tagged along with them, and that's how I, I learned. And 
I've never actually organized a, a street preaching event myself. I've always go, gone with other groups that have organized it. And there are certain uh, campuses that require a few-day notice uh, to preach on them, and we actually do give them a notice when they require that. But, of course, in the public square, you know, they don't require any notice. And, you know, there's little uh, things uh, as far as whether you can use amplification or not. And, you know, one thing I say is that it's uh, easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. But, um, you know, I think it's also um, wise that street preachers are, um, you know, uh, communicate with the authorities. One of the favorite lines that I like is when a um, – a police officer comes up to you when you're preaching, which will almost always happens, and they might say, well, who's in charge here? And I like the answer when you say, well, you are, sir, or you are, man. And that tends to, you know, take their guard down a little bit. Oh, yeah. If they want you to move a few feet, you know, then I, I don't mind doing stuff like that. And I think that's, that's, that's good, though. That's a good tactic. That's tactical. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, as long as it's a, a reasonable request, as long as they're being, you know, uh, consistent with the other buskers or so in the area, then, you know, I'm happy to oblige. And, you know, I, I like to reason with them, but, of course, as you notice, you know, what was happening with our friends in England, that sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. Now, one thing about street preaching as well, there are people out there, and I'm sure you're familiar with it too, who are just out there because of the notoriety, because they like to hear their own voice heard. I remember one time I was in New Jersey as well, and there was a fellow, it was a, you know, one of these uh, conferences, and we went out and did some street preaching, and the fellow turned to my friend, and he gave him his video camera, and he said, could you film my shtick? You know, and of course, my friend rebuked him uh, for that because a lot of people think that it's just a game out there. But you know, we're dealing with people who are walking to hell. And so I think, first of all, you have to be sound theologically because we go with our groups and we're all a bunch of, you know, reformed Christians. And before we'll allow, you know, we don't mind having people come and join us or contact us, and if they want to hand out tracts and things like that, that's fine. But before we allow them to preach with our group, then we'll make sure that they have a sound doctrine. And so, you know, I encourage if anybody's interested in doing something like that, you know, go online and uh, contact myself or, you know, someone like Mike Stockwell. And they're always on the road, you know, they're preaching in different areas and say, well, can you come to my town sometime? I'd like to start something like this up. And, you know, they even do evangelism training and uh, they could come to your area and uh, teach how to do and even, even take people out. But, you know, of course, um, especially being Presbyterians, you know, like they aren't, but we are. Um, I believe that you need to have the blessing from your local church as well. That you know, you should be a nomad out there on the street. That you should have accountability, from, you know, from your own church. Si, have you ever have you noticed a, a marked difference in the response of individuals and the energy that is experienced in these street preaching situations? For instance, if that's it's considered, and I don't know if this is actually true. I travel all over the country, but. You know, New England and the Northeast and portions of the Rust Belt up north are considered to be, they're not called the Bible Belt. The South is called the Bible Belt. But when, but, but ignorance, biblical illiteracy, uh, I mean, New England has no corner on the market of that. There's no shortage of biblical illiteracy, I presume, anywhere you go, anywhere in the world. But the, the problem is, I mean, each area has its own differences, its own idiosyncrasies. For instance, you go down in the south, and you have to get the people unsaved before you can get them saved. You know, of course, mm -hmm. you know, by the work of the Holy Spirit. But all these people think they're Christians. They think that they're saved, and they, you know, they stumble up to you, and, and they're drunk, and they want to tell you that they're saved. So, you know, a lot of times when you go into areas that are maybe a little bit more biblically literate or a little more uh, so-called Christian, that you have to explain, you know, what it actually is to be a Christian, you know, hopefully to expose the fact that they're not saved and then preach the gospel to them. Yeah, they've all been, where, yeah, they've been born again many times down there. Yeah, like in somewhere in the north, of course, they, they are quite a bit more biblically illiterate. illiterate. Like we've been to, uh, you know, some of the most liberal campuses uh, in the U.S. And I think that one thing that I've been emphasizing of late is just to go to these campuses and love these people. And, you know, sometimes they come out and they come out to heckle us and, and you know, some of the most vile things. And I'll just go up there and I'll point them out and I'll say, I love you. Because hey, how hey, often, how often, of that, when, sorry. Go, go, no, you go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, how often is it that a group of Calvinists go to a, a university campus and as we're leaving, they say, you know, those guys, they're strange. You know, we disagree with what they say, but man, they loved us. You know, you know I think, I think people something like that. I think humanists and homosexuals and pro-abortionists and people who buy into that and who uh, who endorse that lifestyle presume that if somebody loves the Bible, they hate them. Right. 
and, uh, and I'm thinking of – yeah, we were talking about Cody May earlier, and you see he's preaching like a wonderful man, but he'll preach with tears in his eyes, and he'll talk with his people because he, he loved the lost, and I think that's what people need to see in their street evangelism. Well, here's what I'm, I'm thinking of verse, uh, we could we think of, of Cody and Christ-likeness, thinking of Matthew 9:36, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right. And I think that's the prerequisite, isn't it? We have to have compassion. We have to feel. Uh, in other words, I've often made the I've often made the case, Cy, years ago that that there are three types of people in the world. I know we always talk about whether it's covenant breakers and covenant keepers, or the lost is saved. Well, there are the saved, there are the damned, if you will, and there are the elect who are not yet saved. Right. And, and they're and they're hidden among the lost, and thinking in terms of uh, a family with an expectant mother, and uh, the baby's already been named, they already know the gender of the baby, and they're all anticipating the, the great glorious arrival day, and uh, they've already got planned what each member of the family is going to do to help participate. When mama goes into labor, the son's going to back the car out of the garage and warm it up, and the mother, and the girl's going to help her mom and pack up the, the bag that goes to the hospital with mom. And uh, the older kids are going to watch the younger kids. And they've all got their battle stations. They're all expectant and excited about the anticipated arrival of their new baby brother or sister. And that is what we need to be. That's the attitude we need to have, is that we're anticipating the arrival of our new baby brother and sister in Christ. Right. Scripture talks about two types of people, goats and sheep. Scripture does not say goats become sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So what we're doing, we're just calling home the sheep. The thing is, you might go to a place that's filled with goats, but we don't know who the goats and sheep are, so we treat them all like sheep. And the problem is with a lot of people that they go out and people are rejecting the message and they try and give them goat food to try and turn them into sheep rather than giving them sheep food in the hope that God calls them home. One of the really great things about Christian fellowship, Cy, is that we get to see what sorts of people uh, – the grace of God extends to. You know, not many of us were noble, not many wise, but God has called the, has chosen the foolish things. Uh, and and certainly a lot of us were scoundrels. And of course, you were you had the blessing of being raised uh, by Christian parents in a covenant home, and that's wonderful. And, One thing uh, I, I tell people when I say when I tell that story, I say, you know, there most of my friends who are out on the streets, they are saved later in life. So they know what it's like to walk the street and reject Jesus Christ as Lord. And sometimes I, I say I empathize with you because I would love to have that feeling to know what's going through these people's mind when they hear the gospel preached because I don't know what that's like. And sometimes I have to defer to my brother who knows what they're thinking in order to talk with them. One of my favorite uh, exchanges with Dustin Seegers on my website, and it's, you know, I talked with this fellow a number of times, and I got to a point where I couldn't talk with him anymore. And I called my friend Dustin, and he actually – had the exchange with this fellow because he was saved around the same age as this person. But the very interesting thing about that, I tell my my friends and my brothers who are saved later in life, they say, you know, sometimes I envy that experience. I would love to know what it's like to go through that so I could better communicate with these people. And to a man, they say, I wish I was brought up in a Christian home. So, you know, God uses people from different walks, but they would not want to have gone through what they went through prior to being saved. You know, of course, I don't know when I was saved. I don't say I was born a believer, but it was at such a young age that I, I, you know, I don't know it. But these are people who have gone through things where they know they've offended God, and um, they just wish that they would not have gone through that. So oh, brother. whenever I say I, that, I, I wish I had that feeling. They say, well, I wish I was raised in a Christian home. Oh, brother, I was a serial fornicator, and I wish that I had been saved as a virgin, really, seriously. Right. Uh, well, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Uh now, we talked once before about uh, – tell us what you're working on, if you would, and how people can – I mean, let's – hey, if, if someone wanted to – do you have a, a policy, uh, we buy, you fly? Do you, uh, what, is your, what is your policy on coming and, and doing workshops and are speaking at a, at a, uh, um, a church or an event? Um, well, I encourage people to contact me because I, I don't know if you're aware or many people are aware, but – I look after my mother full-time now, and she had an accident mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. She was doing quite well, and physically she's fine, but her confusion is uh, at such a state that I really can't 
leave her overnight. So unless I can, so if somebody asks me to come and speak with him, then I have to arrange care for her, which is not so easy. So what I have done though is I've skyped into different uh, churches and different venues, and I've spoken with people, and I, I still try and do it. It's just a lot more difficult to arrange uh, care for my mom. And you know, one of the things that as I get older as well, that I trust God that when He wants to get me out on the street again, then you know, he'll find a way for, for that to happen. You know, care. By the way, if you want, if you want, by the, I'll, and I can edit this out, Scott. Uh, Sky, I've got a brother who is a uh, naturopathic specialist. He taught medicine. He was a family practice and an OR uh, physician's assistant, which in the southern United States is the same as a doctor. But he taught medicine, and now he's very involved in naturopathy, and he's got some experience with uh, actually, uh, with even with family members. Of reversing the effects of Alzheimer's and dementia through yeah, some no, he's in South Carolina. Okay. There okay. are now there are some now there is a, there is a Dr. Joel Wallach is in San Diego uh, that it, it, he is and he's a good friend of my of my buddy Jack's. But they've had tremendous effect at reversing uh, reversing the debilitation of, of dementia and Alzheimer's as well as macular degeneration and some other. Uh, Right. Debilitating well, I don't conditions. Know if you've been, uh, been following my my uh, story online as well, but um, I was plagued with type two diabetes, and that's something that ended up killing my father. And um, there's a fellow, a doctor, Jason Fung, out in Toronto, and I looked up his website. People just Google uh, Jason Fung, and um, through that diet and through that uh, eating plan, you know, I would say that I'm I'm cleared of my type two diabetes. And actually, I've just been doing some research along that line. Apparently, the same diet. People have been using for dementia and Alzheimer's, so that's something that I'm looking into. And I think well, you know, it's what's interesting. What's interesting? I don't know if this relates to your situation, but uh, I was listening to a uh, and, and we've done a wellness war room podcast on cancer and some uh, some of the preliminary uh, some preliminary topics. And I've got Jack scheduled to come in and do several others. He's producing a, a workbook right now on on uh, health for all of life. We talk about ours as a faith for all of life. We're talking about a health for all of life. I tell people it doesn't matter how godly or gifted you are. When you're sick, you're out of the fight. Or if you are uh, uh, fulfilling your covenantal obligations, your familial obligations with loved ones, you're out of the fight to that extent. Now that you're honoring God by your by your obedience and all that, but nevertheless, you'd like to, you'd rather her to be healthy and you'd be back in the game. Right. Uh, along uh, that line, so since I'm confined uh, to my house mostly, I've been. Uh, working on a studio and I actually want to do some videos and you know a bit of a video show as well and um, you just called me actually a little while ago and the reason that I actually called me back is because I was covered in uh, grease I'm actually taking up welding so I was in my garage I'm welding up uh, a frame for this desk that I'm making for my office and uh, so hopefully I get that all together in the next couple of weeks and I want to start putting some videos well, you're, you're a blue collar guy you're a blue collar guy you got welding in your genetics right <laughs> I welded in high school, but you know I think it was mostly brazing and stuff. I guess, but I actually bought myself a flux core welder, and um, I've gone through three spools of uh, wire already. I'm actually getting pretty good at it. So. Well, you know, there's two types of guys in the world. There's guys with tools and guys with friends with tools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I posted online that I just bought a trailer as well, and uh, and you know I said before I was I was a man with a tra- without. I said yesterday I was a man without a trailer, and. So, and that, the implication was now I'm a man with a trailer. And somebody posted, you know, that um, why now you've actually become a man because you have a trailer. It's a rite of passage. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. Well, I installed it on my car, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. So I mean, there are tough things about not being able to get out there, but um, hopefully uh, in the not too distant future, you guys will see me start putting out some videos. And you know, that cross politic uh, podcast that my friend uh, David Shannon Chocolate Knox is doing. There's a, a one-minute apologetic segment that I've been recording for that as well. So, uh, and thankfully, that's been getting out there too. Sai, would you say you have the gift of celibacy? I hope not. <laughs> well, any any chance any any uh, any chance that you're ever going to maybe uh, become a well, you're sort of a snowbird now. You come down to the U.S. a lot, and and I know that you you have lots of friends and brethren down here. Any chance that you'll ever Perhaps you don't know. I was who knows the mind of the Lord, but <clears throat> you'd, that you'd consent to 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 set up shop down here in the lower forty-eight. Well, I mean, um, the one thing about uh, being Canadians is that you know, uh, of course, we have high taxes, but our health care is free. 
So one of the things, that, you know, especially I'm 53 now, so as I get older, that's something that I have to consider. I know that there's different organizations for Christians to uh, get health care, so I, it's something that I would definitely consider. But, uh, you know, as far as celibacy, I was, you know, joking about that. Um, you know, I'm not – a lot of my, uh, you know, my preaching colleagues out in the street, they have committed to never getting married, and, you know, that's their life. Whereas I have not given up that prospect yet. It's not something that I actively pursue but if uh, if that were to happen in my life, you know, I'd be open to it. But uh, I'm just happy to go where the Lord leads me. Well, I'm, I'm going to end this uh, episode just by co- uh, reading some out of Romans 12. I was thinking, I was meditating on this tonight. Just as each of you, just as each of us is one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. When we have different gifts according to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith, and if it's serving, let him serve, if it's teaching, let him teach, and so on and so forth. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, and never lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality, and so... You know, listen, a lot of people love you. I, I, it, you're an easy guy to love, Cy. I mean, you really are. You're just, uh, you, you know, uh, you. I invite you, people not to Google me then, because you'll see how that is not the case, uh, among Well, but, but love is the fulfillment of the law. So it's not just, a, it's not just an ooey gooey, squishy feeling. It's, it's, uh, but no, it's, it's evident that you love the law. Un- I was referring more to the unbelievers, <laughs> but. The- yeah, I know. Well, you're probably, you're probably on somebody's hit list. You're probably considered, one of the uh one of the Christian shop troops. But listen, uh you are you are not ashamed of the gospel and uh that spurs the rest of us on. But you uh you move in a lot of circles, a lot of people love you and they follow you. They've been edified by uh what you've done and, and you have. You've made it look easy. You've made defending the faith and uh declaring Christ is the starting place, as the as the Alpha and the Omega. You made it look easy, and so I, I I just want to say I do appreciate all the compliments, but as you know, all glory does indeed go to God. And and one thing that you know for anybody who ever goes out on the street, and this is one thing that I've learned going out on the street, is that before you get up and preach out on the street, always start with prayer. And I had mm-hmm. one instance. I'll just tell it real quick. Is that a lot of times what will happen is that one of the preachers will get into a heated exchange. And they'll see me and they'll say, Cy, can you get up here and deal with this heckler? And I would get up and, you know, I did it, remember one time when it was such a heated exchange and they called me up quickly and I went up and I dealt with the person. And it went all right, but I just felt different about it. And I remember this because I did not pray before I went up. I did not have somebody pray for me. So now I don't care if it dissipates the crowd. I don't care if the person walks away. You know, I suggest that people before they get up in the box and start preaching, start with prayer. Mm, yeah. Old buddy of mine used to say, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. That's great. (laughs) Well, brother, we appreciate you for joining us here. And uh, I don't want you to think of yourself as a stand-in for Jeff Durbin, but there's worse worse roles in life. I mean, he's a good brother. You're good friends. You've been on Apologia several times, right? Yeah, I think about five times now. And... uh... Yeah, I've, I've gone down to Arizona a couple of times, and I, yeah, he is a dear brother. I love him, and I just love what the Lord is doing with that ministry. And uh, I encourage people to keep praying uh, for him, because you informed me about some uh, recent attacks against that ministry, and I think we just got to keep him in prayer, because the things that, that are going on there, you know, Satan's going to turn his guns on that ministry. And I think that we, it's important that we lift him up in prayer and that God, you know, bless and protect that ministry. Amen. And listen, we're, and we want to be truth tellers here um, one of the reasons why I uh, cited those passages, those portraits of Romans 12, especially be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves, as we all know, we're big boys. We know that there's been a lot of axe grinding. There's been a lot of animosity between um, various different uh, divisions within the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, it's listen, it's common. It's not, un, it's not uncommon that... Uh, one division of the army has a friendly rivalry or a, comp- a competitive attitude towards another division or, through, or, or towards some Marines or some sailors. But 
But, but brethren, at the end of the day, uh, as it says in, in, in verse 4 of chapter 12, uh, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Uh, and so we want to, regardless of your position, now, these are all brothers who are, are, are like us. They're, they, they, uh, they're men of, of, of formed faith, men and women who hold to the doctrines of grace, who hold to the victory of the gospel of Christ in time and space, who love the law of God and believe that it uh, speaks to all of life and is relevant for all of life. And so we ought not to have these divisions between us. And in where they are, they need to be friendly divisions. And I appreciate Cy for his, uh, he's like oil upon the water. He's a, he's a good brother. And we both want to be known as peacemakers so that we'll be called sons of God. And the way we're going to extend the kingdom of God is by building bridges, not building, not burning bridges. So Cy, thank you for joining us on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. 